What house should I buy? Who should I marry? What job should I take? What should I eat for dinner tonight? These are the important questions of life, am I right? Right. Big questions, ones that, that leave us feeling so nerve-wrackingly, you know, that, that are so nerve-wrackingly huge that it leaves us feeling disoriented as we think about them. It becomes paralysis by analysis, right? Why would God make it so hard to follow Him? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever come up to a decision in your life scenario, situation, a circumstance where you've asked yourself, you've you've been so confused about what you ought to do that you've asked yourself, why would God make it so hard to follow Him sometimes, to know His will? Now, Jacob finds himself in this kind of quandary in our passage this morning. Of course, from our perspective, reading it, knowing the story, if you've read the story before, the decision to us seems plain. Of course, this is what Jacob is supposed to do. Of course, this is what's going to happen. But think about it from Jacob's perspective. From Jacob's perspective, this is possibly the most difficult decision of his life. In fact, from Jacob's perspective, this may possibly be one of the most difficult decisions one can face, probably more difficult than any of us will ever face. Uh, considering, consider the elements at play here. He faces one of the biggest problems of his already very troubled life in the famine that is covering the entire land, okay? What will we eat tomorrow or next week or next month? He has to deal with this incredibly shocking revelation that his son, whom he thought was dead for 20 years, is alive. Can you imagine the emotion and the confusion of this moment? Most of us could not even fathom the pain of losing a child and then the shock of 20 years later finding out, no, they've not actually been dead. He bears the burden of the lives of some 70 children and grandkids on top of that, and servants and others on top of that, that he he alone is responsible for their lives, for providing for them sustenance to live in this famine. And he knows that all of this is tied up with God's plans and promises, There are eternal stakes at play. It is not merely life and death for himself or for his family. The great promises of God weigh on him. Few, if any of us, will ever face a decision of such magnitude. So, what should Jacob do? How can he make this decision? And might that, might the way that he faces it, might the way that he makes this decision give us some help in the decisions that we face? This morning I want to answer two questions. 
First, I want to answer the question, how can we know God's will? How can we know God's will? The second, how should we follow God's will? So in chapter 48, verses 16 through 28, Pharaoh and Joseph instruct the brothers to go back to Canaan, to go back to Jacob and to their household, and to bring the whole family back to Egypt. They send with them provisions, they send with them wagons, so that old Jacob, who's like 130 years old at this point, doesn't have to walk all the way to Egypt, so the small children don't have to walk all the way to Egypt. They, they give them everything that they need and more. And so the brothers arrive and they tell Jacob what happened, and Jacob, he doesn't believe it at first. You can imagine if you were in his position, you'd say, okay, no, you've got to be pulling my leg. Either, either that means that you lied to me then, sons, or that means that you lied to me now, right? Then he sees the wagons and he sees the gifts and the abundance of what they've been given, and he realizes there's no other way. Reason and logic kick in. This must be true because how else would they come back with all of this? So what does Jacob do? Should he go to Egypt? Should he listen to Pharaoh and Joseph's instructions? How can he know God's will? And what are some of the reasons he might go? Well, consider this. First, is relief from a real problem enough? As we consider what we ought to do in our life, as we consider what God's will is, is relief from a very real problem enough? In verse 16 through 19, we find Pharaoh offering, even commanding to tell Jacob and, the, and his family to come and live in Egypt as a solution to the, family, the famine problem. And this solution is a solution to a very real, a very dangerous, and a very immediate issue in their life. It is life and death. Certainly, God would not want His chosen people to die out due to starvation. What would that do to God's promises to them? Indeed, we know that God is the cosmic problem solver, right? All of Genesis is a prologue to the whole story of the Bible and to human history. And we've created the sin problem, and we know that God intends to solve that problem. He stated that already in Genesis 3.15. If an opportunity comes that will fix a very real problem, not a, not a make-believe problem, not like a, a, you know those problems that we have in our life that we make out to be massive, but they're really not that massive. No, this is not one of those kind of problems. This is a real issue that Jacob is facing. And here, the solution just rolls up in wagons from Egypt. God's the cosmic problem solver. If an opportunity comes to fix a real problem, alleviate suffering and pain in our life, is that not clearly from a loving father? We might also ask ourselves, is material blessings enough? In verse 20, Pharaoh says they have no reason to be concerned with their goods. In fact, they could leave them in Canaan because when they come here to Egypt, they'll have whatever they need. In verses 21 through 24, we see that Joseph has already provided tremendous provisions for their family. 
They have every reason to believe that if they go to Egypt, they will grow in wealth. Certainly a loving God who has promised so much would want to provide for His family, right? Indeed, we know that God is the great provider. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. He provides for His children. He provided for Abraham and for Isaac, and now He's provided for Jacob. And He provides to all of us, His church, His very own Son. If an opportunity comes that will bring material blessing, that will provide for us in some way that we have real needs, should we not assume that that opportunity comes from a good, good father? Is relief from real problem enough? Is material blessing enough? Finally, is the fulfillment of a dream enough? I wonder how many days that Jacob woke up in the morning over that, those 20 years, and the one thought on his mind was, if I could have one thing today, it would be to see my son again. I wonder how many mornings he woke up and he thought, I would trade all of this to see my son Joseph just one more time. It's not a bad dream to have. It's a reasonable desire. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, you might say it is quite good. It reveals the heart of a father to his son. In fact, it's not just Jacob's dreams, but, but it's God's dreams that we're talking about, right? The dreams that God gave to Joseph. The ones that Jacob, remember, took to heart, it said. That sheaves of wheat would bow. That stars and sun and moon would bow. Often our dreams touch on things of God, right? You, you dream of starting such and such ministry, or you dream of helping such and such people, or you dream of your children following Christ. Our dreams oftentimes touch on the dreams of God. They're good. They're not wrong. Indeed, we know that God is a miracle-working God that can do all things. He's able to do things that we can't imagine, more than we can think of. In fact, in Jacob's own dreams, he had seen God open up heaven and a, a ladder going up and angels coming up and down. He's had dreams that we can't imagine. Wouldn't God, wouldn't a God like this want good dreams to be fulfilled? Is that not enough to go to Egypt? To know that a real problem is solved, to know that God is, it appears, is providing materially for your family in that way, to know that a dream that you've had is to be fulfilled, a good dream, a God-honoring dream by all accounts. And there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with solving a problem or material blessing or fulfilling a dream. All of these things seem to be from God. Is this not a no-brainer? And yet, Jacob's response in verse 28 is this, I will go see Joseph. He does not say, I will go move to Egypt. My son is alive, I will go see him. 
but he does not intend to stay there as Pharaoh has commanded. See, friends, this is what I want you to understand. Circumstances, while helpful, in and of themselves are not enough. They're not enough. And we don't need to go back too far in the story to see why. Let me remind you, Jacob can look at the examples of others, those who have gone before him. Abraham facing, facing a famine in the land in Canaan, rather than staying in Canaan, fled to where? Egypt. And lied about his wife. He got himself in some hot water, right? Isaac facing a famine. Jacob's father is about ready to go to Egypt, and God steps in and says, don't you dare go to Egypt like your dad did. Don't you dare do it. And so Isaac stays in Canaan. Jacob recognizes that while earthly wisdom finds no problem with running to Egypt, in reality, it was born from hearts that were not trusting God. Obeying God and relieving a problem may go hand in hand many times, but if our desire to relieve a problem supersedes our desire to obey God, it opens the door to excusing and justifying disobedient actions in the name of something that might look kind of good on the surface. But our hearts can deceive us. And in our hearts, we don't want the things of God, we want the things that we want. But he doesn't only have to look at the examples of others in his life or others who have gone before him. He can consider what God had done previously in his own life. If we go back to Genesis chapter 30, 31, verse 3, we remember that God had commanded Jacob to leave Laban's household and return to Canaan, right? And God says, I will be with you, Jacob. Go back to your father's house. Go back to Canaan, and I will be with you there. We remember in that story that it was because God was with Jacob that Jacob was blessed despite Laban trying to steal all the blessing from him, remember? The best blessing isn't wherever it seems temporally expedient, but wherever God promises to be with us. Disobedience creates a rift between us and God. Immediate material blessing is no replacement for the long-lasting blessing of God, of being in His presence, where He provides for us there. Friends, yeah, we have to understand that. Sometimes in our own earthly wisdom, we think to ourselves, but look, right there, there it is. I can just grab that. God must have put it there. And oftentimes, what grabbing that is, is disobedience. what we've given up is a long-lasting blessing of being in the presence of the Almighty God. What we give up is something far, far better. Like when my kids want that snack or whatever, and I know that we have something for them that's even better later but rather than obeying, they grab, they go to the kitchen and they sneak the thing, right? And because they do that, because it looks so appealing to them, they miss out on the greater thing that I have. 
for them later. We do that with God all the time. So Jacob would rather stay in the place in which God has promised to be with him, even if there is a famine there, than to go somewhere else. Listen, listen, Jacob would rather stay in the place which God had promised to be, where God had promised to be with him, even in a famine, than go somewhere else. We are often tempted to think that the grass is greener elsewhere, better relationship, better job, better house, better church, better whatever. But most of the time, if God had previously brought you to the first thing, and He isn't clearly leading you somewhere else, your best bet is to be faithful where God has you and to wait on the Lord, to wait and trust that He will do what He has promised even if we don't see it in the moment. And that He is able to make it clear if you need to do something different. You see, if God's sovereign, then our concern ought to be obedience, just obeying, not deciphering exactly what we need to do and exactly which situation, because if He's sovereign and we're trying to obey, then he'll get us where we need to go. You, 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 you parents, you've, 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 been this, you've been in this situation where in the moment you need to just, you need your kid to do something to navigate a particular moment. And you just tell them, you tell them the command. And if they would just obey your words exactly, precisely what you said, it would get them exactly through without any harm. But they refuse to obey and they keep saying, well, why? Well, why? Well, but I want to do this. But I want to... Just listen to me. And you will be okay. I love you. I want the best for you. If you needed to know why, I would tell you. But right now, you just need to listen to my words. How many times is God telling us that? And instead of doing what he says, we sit around and go, but why? But God, but tell me. Finally, those hopes and dreams, our passions, our dreams can be things that God is, uses to direct us, right? That he, that he Himself has put in our own heart. But we all know how many times we've had a dream that God uh, uh, seems to block from happening, right? Only in time to replace it with something so much better. I remember so many years ago lamenting when my girlfriend broke up with me. My girlfriend I thought I was going to marry, you know? Like, for sure, this is the one. And I'm just like, oh, God, why would you do this to me? Isn't this, I was, you know, all these different things. I am so glad that God shut that down and brought Amanda to me instead. Oh, my word, my life is so much better. And if my old girlfriend is listening to this podcast someday, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's true. You're really great for someone else. Jacob, Jacob will go, sorry, I just got derailed. Jacob will go and see Joseph, but he will not move there. He will not move there because being in God's presence in Canaan is more important to Jacob than being in his long-lost child's presence in Egypt. Let that sink in for a minute. His son whom his other sons stole 20 years of life together away from him. 
He would rather be in the presence of God in famine-stricken Canaan than in the presence of his long-lost son and a full table to boot. Listen, a hard question every parent needs to consider is this. Is the presence of God and faithfulness to him more important than your relationship with your kids? Interestingly, the best thing you can do for your kids is to have a stability and a testimony in Christ that says whatever comes, we will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. A couple weeks ago, we were in Arkansas. We went camping in Arkansas, and we went on this hike. We hiked up to this overlook, and it was this rock outcropping, right? And uh, this massive rock outcropping, and, and you, you looked out over the, the valley, and you were already way above the trees. I mean, it was like the cliff was like a hundred plus foot drop, right? And even as we're walking up, even when we're 20 feet away, my kids are already kind of worried about the edge, which is good. And they begin to crowd in towards me, right? And Josie begins to kind of grab my hand as I'm going out there, and she's a little concerned. You know, I'm 10 feet away. She's a little concerned. You're a little too close, Dad. And I'm thinking, no, I'm going to take you out here farther, right? And so I grab her hand, and I bring her out towards the edge. And we're still plenty far away, but I bring her out towards the edge so she can really take in the view that, of the valley, the whole reason we hiked all the way up there. But what she needed in that moment as she neared that edge, as she, she, she was trying to trust that this was going to be okay, what she needed in that moment was me to be stability for her. Now, I'm concerned for her safety, yes. But I'm not so concerned that I am grabbing onto her for stability. And parents, too many times, our relationship with our kids becomes so important, becomes the very most important thing in our life that we are grabbing onto them for stability. When we need to be confident in God for our stability so that they can grab onto us. That's what our kids need. Your relationship with God is far more important to your kids than your relationship with them. That is what they need more than anything. Listen, if I had been grabbing onto my daughter for stability as she was grabbing onto me for stability, what most likely would have happened as we inched closer to that edge? You fall. You fall. So if circumstances don't get us there, what more is needed? Is that chapter 46 opens up, Jacob is on his way to visit Joseph, and he stops in Beersheba, right? And you remember the spot, perhaps. God had provided water to both Abraham and Isaac in that place. Abraham had called on the name of the Lord. There is a place of significance in the lives of the patriarchs. And so Jacob stops there, and he offers sacrifices and praise to God. You see, rather than circumstances, what we see here is surrender. Rather than circumstances, what we see is surrender. Surrender of what? Jacob's own will. How can you possibly take hold of God's will when your hands are full of your own will? 
And surrender to what? To God's Word. Listen, if you want to know God's sovereign will for your life, all you need to know is the will that He reveals in His Word to trust it and to do it. God speaks to Jacob. He reiterates the promise He has made to him before. He tells him, it's okay to go. His presence will go with him. Now we think, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty easy. You know, if, if God just gave me some vision, if I could just go to a place and fall asleep and God would just give me, you know, a, a vision in the night of what to do, then that, that'd all be pretty easy then, wouldn't it? And we assume that we'd easily obey it, but I am not so sure that we would, friends. I'm not so sure. If you can open up God's Word, read it, and choose not to obey it, I am not so sure that if God gave you a vision in the night that you would actually obey it either. I'm not so sure I would. Jesus says in His own ministry, He said, even if Moses rose from the dead, you still wouldn't believe. We forget that in 147 years of Jacob's life, he has four of these kinds of visions. That's actually, in fact, less direction than God has given us. It's less direction than God's given us. God's Word, His Spirit indwelling in you to lead you and to guide you is far better than anything that Jacob's been given. Listen, if you come to God asking His will because you believe that He can ordain what will come to pass, then why would you not trust how He has ordained to communicate that to you? Right? If God determines the ends, does He not determine the means as well? So to know God's will, outward circumstances are helpful. Don't get me wrong. They are helpful, but inward surrender is vital. Is vital. Outward circumstances aren't always what they seem to us and can often be warped by our hearts when we aren't surrendered to God's will. When we'd rather have our own will, we'll often see our outward circumstances as we want to see them to bring about our will, not, not God's will. What's more, even if we know God's will, without surrendered hearts, our response will be based on what we want rather than what God wants. So how do we move forward? How do we move towards this kind of surrender? Well, first thing I'd ask is this. Have you really considered God's Word? Uh, Whatever you're facing right now, maybe you have a decision kind of on the table at this moment. I want to ask you, have you really considered God's Word in that? God's Word doesn't say everything about everything, but it does say something about everything. Okay, let me say that again because you can take that to the bank. God's Word doesn't say everything about everything, but it does say something about everything. 
There is a distinct difference between someone looking to see if God's Word explicitly prohibits something and someone who wants to see anything that God's Word might have to say about it. The first is good, but the second is far better. The second desires to love God with all of his heart and his soul and his mind and his strength. Please, Lord, if your word says anything, anything that I can do that would love you more, I want to know it so that I can do it because my heart is on fire for you, for your will, not mine. The second question is this, have you really surrendered your heart? There's a distinct difference between someone who comes to God's Word looking for whether they can do what they want to do. Will, will, uh, I, I know what I want to do. Will God's Word permit me to do that thing? Oh, man, I'm looking for, okay, oh, no, nothing says definitely don't do that, so I guess I'm good. We, we were talking about this earlier. It's like when I was a youth pastor and I'd have teenage boys come up to me and say, hey, youth pastor, Cody, um, how, what can I do with my girlfriend and still be Okay. And I said, well, you've started in the wrong place. You've already shown me that your heart is totally off. Your desire is not to do what God wants. It's not to glorify God. It's not to, even for the good of your girlfriend, your desire is for your own sinfulness. And you're looking for permission. Have we really surrendered our hearts? Are we looking, coming to God's Word looking, how can I better love God with everything? If you aren't, listen, if you aren't really prepared to lay down a thing, if God says lay it down, then your heart isn't surrendered. If you can't, like Abraham, put Isaac on the altar and say, well, God could bring him back from the dead, I guess, then your heart still needs work. We read this story, we think, well, Jacob had this vision. I'd follow God if he gave this vision, but we have God's Word in black and white text, and we second-guess it all the time. It takes trust in God. But what about when we come to God's Word and we read it and we understand what it is that God wants us to do? What then? How should we follow God's will? Well, I think Jacob's actions give us a few tips. First is this, we need to follow it courageously. Look, God says, do not be afraid. If Jacob obeys God, God's presence will go with him. God will bless him. He has no reason to fear going to Egypt. Not because Egypt is going to provide blessing, not because he can trust Pharaoh's promises, not because he can trust Joseph's promises, but because he can trust God's promises. This is the common thread in Scripture. Joshua 1, 7, 9 says this, if you are careful to do God's word, obedience, then you can expect success. If God has commanded you, then you can be strong and courageous, it says, and do not be frightened for the Lord is with you. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, strength and courage ought to be a marks of God's people because God is with them if they obey. 
Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Obedience right there. And then guess what follows? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age, God's presence. It seems as though these things keep going together all throughout Scripture. You're my people, I will be with you, you should obey, and you should obey without fear and with courage and with boldness because I am with you. What are we so afraid of? Are we afraid of getting off track? If you're genuinely pursuing obedience and checking Scripture, do you not think that God is able to not only get you on track, but if you get off track in some aspect, to use that for your good and for the good of His kingdom ultimately? Our lack of courage has nothing to do with our lack of knowledge in God's will, it has everything to do with our lack of trust in God. So courageously, second thing, immediately, verse 5, then Jacob set out. Right away, Jacob's like, okay, and let's go. Once God's word to him is certain, there is no delay in his action. Now, I do want to provide one uh, caveat here. Immediately means immediately willing, not always immediate action, okay? The situation may not call for immediate action. In Jacob's example, it does. But in our life, it may not always call for immediate action. It may just be immediate action to go one step towards the thing God is calling us to. Let me give you an example uh, so this make, maybe hopefully makes a little bit more sense. When, we, when Amanda and I became certain that we were to plant a church in Kansas City, we, we saw how it aligned with God's Word, we prayed about it, and God had bent our hearts towards it. It seemed providentially orchestrated uh, as far as we could tell. Um, not only that, we also, we also uh, saw how submitting to and being affirmed by the elders of our church also aligned with God's Word. And so what did we do? Rather than just saying, hey, I need to immediately act. I, I quit this job. I'm, I'm moving to Kansas City. No, because that also aligned with God's Word. We went to the elders and we said, we believe God is calling us to this, but you're our elders. You know us. You've seen us in ministry. You understand what it is to lead a church. We see in Scripture that oftentimes when people are sent out, they go to the elders and they look for the affirmation of these spiritual leaders first. And so we submit ourselves to you. Would you pray and would you tell us, do you believe this is what God wants us to do? Do you see this in us as well? And they affirmed us. They affirmed us by saying, yeah, you need to go, and we're willing to pick up the slack left behind, and we'll figure it out. And not only that, but we're going to send a significant amount of money with you. But listen, there were some months until all those circumstances lined up. While the decision was made there, there were things that needed to happen before everything came together. 
And if we had just left in that moment, we would have potentially broken other commands that God has clearly revealed in His will. Lack of submission, disrespect to elders in, 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 in uh, uh, obeying the requested time frame that they asked for, a lack of love for my current church and the people there and doing what I wanted to just leave whenever I wanted to and kind of leave them behind. So the point isn't the point here in, in speaking of it being immediately isn't necessarily for it to be perfectly chronologically immediate, but that first our hearts would immediately desire obedience in that matter, that we would be prepared and willing to go just as soon as God makes that possible. And so, courageously, immediately, finally, the last thing, completely. It says in verses 5b through 7 that Jacob took everything. He gathered up everything. He had no plan to look behind or come back. He was moving forward with God. And then we have this genealogy in verses 8 through 27, and you wonder, well, why is this placed in here? kind of inserted in the story, what's the point of that? And it ends with this statement that there were 70 persons in all. 70 is seen as this number of totality in Hebrew thought. Seven was the complete thing. Multiplying it by 10 emphasized just how complete it was. It was all of Jacob's household. He took every single person, every single bit of livestock, every single possession, he was totally, completely sold out. And in fact, the significance of this seems to point to Genesis 10 and what we call the table of nations, that, that from Noah descended all people. And, and, and similarly, what Genesis is saying is every single person who became an Israelite, when the original people of God are leaving Egypt in the wilderness and they're coming into the promised land and they're reading these words that Moses has written down about how they came into Egypt in the first place. They're reading this and they're understanding, if I am coming out of Egypt, then I am an Israelite because every single one of us went into Egypt. All of us. Four hundred years later, God would fulfill that promise. 400 years it would take and His presence would go with His people out of Egypt. Friends, we're, when we think about God's will in our life, oftentimes we're far, far too short-sighted. We're far too short-sighted. Throughout Genesis, two things have been true. God has shown His ability to handle whatever sinful man throws at Him, right? Whether it be the sins of those violently opposed to Him like Sodom and Gomorrah, or if it be the sins of His own people like Abraham lying about Sarah. The other thing that we've seen is that God is most concerned with His people having faith. Faith in Him. It's the distinguishing mark of the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent in Genesis 3. We're concerned with doing the right things in our life, but God is most concerned with producing the right things in our hearts. When we have right hearts, we end up 
doing right things. And so as we talk about God's will, theologians have often distinguished between two wills of God, that which we might call His hidden or His sovereign will. It's what will happen, right? What we will do. And then the second is what we might call His revealed or moral will. It's what we ought to do. And typically when we ask these big questions of our life, perhaps in, on our knees in prayer, what we're asking is to know what God's hidden will is. What is your sovereign will? If you would just tell me exactly what is going to happen and what I should do, Lord, then I would do it. As if somehow if we knew, we'd follow Him better. As if somehow if we knew His hidden will, we'd follow that better than we are following His revealed will. Of course, you see that that's silly. That logic doesn't follow, does it? We might say to ourselves, well, God, I just don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess this up. The irony is that our thinking that we can mess up God's sovereign will reveals that our hearts don't actually trust that God is sovereign that He keeps His promises to His people. You see, we're happy to have God's navigational advice so long as we don't have to surrender the steering wheel to Him. Because what we really want is not obedience. What we really want is control. So friends, I am sure that there are things in your life you wonder, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with this? There are things in my life, my family, proclaim, where I go, God, I don't understand. What do you want me to do with this? I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand what you want me to do next. God, what's your will? Go to God's Word. Surrender your heart. Surrender your life. Be faithful to God. Wait on Him. And see that He does not act. Because He is a God that keeps promises. Whether it takes 20 years or 400. Let's pray.